Praise the Lord. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm so excited to bring the Word of God to you this morning. I, I truly do have a message that's burning inside of me and uh, really has been birthed out of our lives in, in the season of life that we're in. And uh, I want to um, let everybody know, some of you have been asking about her. My wife is here, and she is seated over there. And so if you could stand and wave at everybody, my beautiful wife. Uh, she's been in Colorado the past few weeks uh, working a, a spectacular job that the Lord blessed her with. And um, it's just an incredible season of, of life that we feel like we're entering into. And so she's here, and uh, my biggest support, and I'm so glad after 20-some days, 26 days, we're back together again because that was, that was not easy. And uh, so I'm glad to have um, my wife by my side here. And uh, I want to thank Pastor Daniel. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach the Word of God today. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that I was hoping I'd have the opportunity to do. And so I'm really thankful for the opportunity. And uh, I'm just going to dive into the Word, and, and uh, we'll share some moments together as the sermon goes on. But I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 11. I'm starting in verse 26, and we're going to read all the way through uh, to chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, the message that I want to share with you this morning is that God is moving. Um, God is always on the move. He's always doing something, and when He's on the move... He requires something of each and every one of us in this room to move with him. And so I want to look at uh, Abraham, father of our faith. There's three major religions in the entire world that claim Abraham is the father of their faith. This is a pretty important man to human history. And so I want to go back and I want to read a little bit about his story. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram. Nahor and Haran. Now, Abram was the name of Abraham before God changed his name, all right? And so, uh, Abram and Abraham are the same thing, so if I use them interchangeably, that's what I mean. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father, Terah, was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's, Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her daughter Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. 
When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camps behind the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to them. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. Now, I want to I start by stating a couple of obvious things. You know, God has called us into a season that we are stepping out in faith and, and following what we feel like God's call in our life in this next season to a different state. I'm not comparing myself to Abraham, but I do want to draw attention to the fact that each and every one of us have our father of the faith to look up to because we're all grafted into the vine. We're, we're all um, uh, in this thing together, Jew, Gentile, um, everybody. I want us to look at Abraham to see how his life impacts ours, because this story has come alive to me in a crazy way over the last several months that God has had us on this process of journey with him. The fact of the matter is, is that God is constantly calling his people to get out, to get out of your familiar places, to get out of your comfort zones, to get out of different things. Now, this does not always mean geography. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't mean leaving where you're from. Many times it manifests through tons of different ways, whether it's occupation or finances or what God is asking you to do. But you're a Christian if you respond to the moving of the Lord. When the Israelites were led in the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They would stop, they would settle, they would get geared up, they would get rested, and then they would be moving again. They'd be going to a different area. Or the story of the prophet in the Bible where God leads him to a brook. Bishop has a great message that I still remember called, When the Brook Dries Up. When he, he took care of his prophet at the brook, but then eventually he dried up the brook because God was moving, and that prophet may not have noticed that God was moving unless his brook had dried up which is a whole other message in and of itself. It's not the focus of this, but you got to go to the archives and, uh, and get Bishop's message on that. And so God is constantly moving. And so I want to bring you to a scripture that proves that if you move with God, you belong to him. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12, says this. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What does this mean? That word led implies movement. To be led, you are following a leader that is moving. And that leader that moves is pulling you a direction that sometimes you may not want to go or sometimes you may want to go, sometimes you're scared to go, sometimes it's a combination of all those things and you have no idea what's going on. But one of the proofs, 
one of the litmus tests when we talk about our, when we're checking ourselves to, to make sure that we're in the faith, that, we're, that our lives are for the Lord, when we're evaluating our lives and we're asking the Holy Spirit to search us, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. Those who are following Him where He moves are the ones who belong to Him. And so if we're moving with God, we are living exactly as we need to. But if we're in a position in our lives where nothing about our lives is being led of the Holy Spirit, when we're just going through the motions or we're just trying our best to be good people, you begin to stagnate, you begin to be still, and your life begins to be about yourself and nobody else because you have planted yourself and you're not willing to step out and to be a blessing. See, Abram came from the last line, the family of Seth, all the way from Noah, came from the last line that had the knowledge of the true God on earth. And his family was teetering as well. Ur of the Chaldeans was the center of lunar worship. And so God called them out of those lands, but then they keep on traveling. And then what happens is, is that the family decides to settle. They don't want to go on anymore. They don't want to keep following what God is calling them to do. So then God says, if they won't come, I want you to come. And Abraham is spurred on to keep going. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. I want to talk to you about a few areas in our lives that God calls us to leave. When you live for God, there are certain areas that from time to time he's going to highlight in you and he's going to poke at because he wants you to get moving in a particular area of your life. Like I said, this isn't all about geography here. This is about what is inside of us that is unsurrendered to the Lord. And this is about resisting the human nature that's inside of us to settle and to stay where we are. When God calls us out of a life of sin, he transforms us and he calls us out of our own life. And so that movement in and of itself can be a scary adventure in the beginning. You're trying to get your footing. You don't know what's sin and what's not sin. You're trying to figure out, okay, uh, what are my motives? And it is really, really, really overwhelming when you first become a Christian. But what are some other areas? Family. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 one of the harder scriptures in the Bible to read. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. What does this mean? Our families, this is something that Abram had to respond to the call of God on his life and reject the criticism of his family and what his family had decided to do and to go on towards it. Now, I've been very blessed in my family. My family is incredibly supportive of, of our decision to, to follow the call of God. So I want you to know I'm not trying to get at anybody in this room. Okay? Just reading scripture. But many of you know in this room what it's like that when you become a Christian or when you decide to sell out for God and you decide to follow him wholeheartedly, how hard it is to resist the pull of your family if they are going in a different direction as you. That's not easy. The, the, the family tie, the family bond is so strong. Even if you strongly dislike your family, 
nervous laughter and quiet. A lot of you were waiting for me to keep talking so nobody could hear you laughing, but... Even if there are members of your family that, that you don't like, we can't explain it, but there's this pull of our past life that tries to get in the way of us following after him. It's wonderful when everything comes together and families are supportive, but there are times where you will be resisted by those who are closest to you. Many of you know what it's like in this room to maybe you left a particular denomination to to come to this church and, and the rejection that you face in your family. Or maybe you became a Christian and you were the first one in your family and you had to leave that behind. We've had people come through Master's Commission and VSOM throughout the years where these young people, we would interview them. They wanted to respond to the call of God of ministry on their lives. And they're sitting in front of us weeping because their parents don't support their decision and have refused to finance them and have, you know, said, if you do this, I'm not going to support you. And watching firsthand young people lay their lives before the Lord and say, I'm going to follow God even if it costs me my family. One of the, it's been one of the most profound things and privileges and honors that I've ever had to witness as a minister, watching people lay that down before the Lord and get tremendously blessed by following after him. Maybe not in the short term, but definitely in the long term. Friends. Friends, you can tie right in there with family. Teenagers, it can be especially difficult to resist the pool of your friends because social life is the currency of junior high and high school. That's how you know that you're rich is if you have a ton of friends and you have a ton of people who speak well of you. In high school and junior high, and unfortunately it doesn't end, but we do learn a few things by the time we graduate, hopefully. But there's always this pool to climb the social ladder and to be the best at what we do and to have everybody accept us. But if you are truly being led by the Spirit of God, God thinks differently than you and everybody else. So what he leads you to do is often going to come in conflict to what your associates, what your, what your uh, acquaintances think of you. And sometimes even your friends. What we think of people, what people think of us, God consistently pulls us out of. I remember a time in my life um, where I had to make a couple of really important decisions. This was around being a senior in high school. And um, had a blow up with a couple of friends and it just didn't work out. And it was clear that the decisions that I was making in my life was taking my life a direction that they weren't willing to go. And that's okay. And I paid dearly during that time relationally. I lost a couple of friends that were absolutely key to who I had become as a person. And I entered a season where things were lonely and things were hard. But you know what? When you follow God and when you go through the seasons where he's all that you have, the richness of your relationship with God, the trust and the faith and the confidence that you have in him, it builds and it builds and it goes to a whole other level. If you're going an opposite path than your friends, leave them because God's got better things. Friendships. I mean, I'm sorry, I just did that. Occupation. Sometimes God stirs up inside of us to change our careers, to change our job. 
whether it's for a season or permanently. So one of the things that the Lord has asked me to do in this next season, to lay down what I do vocationally before the Lord to enter a season where he wants to take me to a different place in him. That's not been the easiest thing to do. But when you feel the peace of God all over it, and you, when you feel his presence leading you on, I know that he has something for me that's going to launch me into a crazy season of my life. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And to be able to watch my, uh, my lovely bride have international impact at an organization that is touching the lives of students and teachers all over the world is just something that we're like, God, we're just a couple of people you know, from a small town, like, it, why us? <laughs> we just feel so overwhelmed. And, and, um, but when God is calling you to do that, step outside of that. He'll reward you. Financially, God calls us out of our finances. Mark 10, 21 through 22, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all of you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, for he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. This is a tough thing to get out of, is financial mentality. We don't like to admit it as Americans, but we are culturally conditioned to freak out constantly about money. Right? We glue ourselves to whatever 24 News Network is happening, we obsess over our retirement accounts and look at them constantly, or we'll look at the stock market, or we'll look at our housing values in our neighborhood. When the reality is, is that God has called us not to be consumers, but to be generous people. And the more that you are generous and you resist the cultural pull of our country the more blessed you will be when you engage in giving and when you give to God and when you give to others, you watch what God will do. One of the quotes I live by is um, when, it, when it comes to giving is something C.S. Lewis said, and I can't preach without mentioning him, so um, you know, I'm, I'm not under contract to say him or anything, but he, he's one of my mentors from afar, I guess. But he said, I don't think that one could ever settle on how much one should give except the only safe rule being that you should give more than you can spare. Meaning that you should give to the point where it begins to poke at what you enjoy doing. That doesn't mean don't take that family vacation. But maybe that does mean you scale back a little bit on what that family vacation would entail. See, when was our, our pocketbooks and what our money goes to has a whole lot to do with who we are as people. And so taking a look at where your money is going, is God poking at that? He's poked at that for me many, many times. Here are hindrances to getting out. Number one, our individual, individualistic culture hinders us from getting out. What do I mean by that? Our, our society and our culture worships being an individual, having individual rights. It doesn't matter if what I do affects other people. I've only got to do what makes me happy. But back in the Bible times, back in Israel, back in ancient times, you weren't living your life based on what made you happy. You were living your life for a greater purpose and a greater meaning. In fact, when you would meet somebody in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, they would say, Hi, I'm David, son of Jesse. Now here it's different. It's, in our culture, it's like, hi, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm a pastor. 
or hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm a carpenter or a construction worker. We define ourselves by what we do here, thinking that what we do provides us the meaning of our lives. Back then, what they did is that they knew that their lives were about the family unit that they were a part of and the community that they had built, and they understood that life was about people. In fact, the greatest honor that one could have was their generational line continuing. That was everything to them. That was everything. Do I have somebody that can carry on my name and keep my family name going? Because I'm not just David. I'm David's son of Jesse. I'm a part of a community. I'm a part of a body. A life. Uh, the pursuit of happiness. The greatest tragedy of Western culture is that we have been sold the lie that perfection can be had here. Everything you want can be had here. That you can have everything you want in this life and this life only. Furthermore, it sells an additional lie. That life should be better than what it is right now and any setback, tragedy, physical condition is unfair, you don't deserve it, and someone else is responsible for your misfortune. We're culturally conditioned. I use that word a lot. We're culturally conditioned to believe that life should always be better than what it is right now. But my friends, this isn't all there is. One day we're going to heaven. And we rarely think about that out here in the West. But if you look at scripture, especially the New Testament, it was all that they were thinking about. And when you live your life with the big picture of heaven, it gives you the strength to be able to make sacrifices, knowing that whether or not you reap here in this life, you will in the next. And so you can follow God here, knowing that he is going to reward you. But even more than that, that you're going to see him face to face. And you're going to give him praise, and you're going to fall at his feet and thank him for saving you. We're not called to be settlers, yet we live like this world is all that there is. A lot of the Western church, a lot of the American church lives as if this world is all that there is. And we wonder why depression is such a huge problem in America, anxiety is such a huge problem in America. I have struggled with both of those things at different times in my life, so I'm not singling anybody else out. What I am saying is that when you're constantly sold a lie by the culture that your life should be better, you should have this project, you should live in this home, you should be driving this car, your kid should act this way, your kid should be playing that sport, your kid should be doing that career, and, and, and it, it constantly focuses our attention on the lack when we have already have everything that we could ever want materialistically, but even more than that, we have everything that we need and could want in God. That prevents us from moving. What crosses our minds when God calls us to move with him? What am I going to lose? If, you ask, if you're obsessed with that question, you are too focused on the now. You're too focused on this life. Way too focused on this life. Your usefulness, that's a benefit. You will feel the most useful when, you've, when you are the most uncomfortable. What do I mean by that? When it gets down to it, Freud is wrong. 
The greatest pursuit of our lives is not pleasure and happiness. What people really want in their lives is meaning. That's what people really want. And when our meaning is centered in the gospel, it causes us to become useful even when we feel uncomfortable. And being useful is way better than being uncomfortable. Or being comfortable, I'm sorry. Because you can be comfortable and stay where you are and not move with God, or you could become useful in the places that you're uncomfortable. You can go ahead and serve where you've never served before. You can go ahead and pray for somebody and you've never even prayed for somebody before, you know, like in public. Or you could tell your child something that you've been wanting to tell them for so long. I'm telling you, you will feel the most useful where you are the most uncomfortable. You become rich in relationships. Getting out is for others, so your world opens up to all kinds of different people who add value to life, to your life, and who help you get to where you're going. When you begin to step out of your world, God opens up to you the world. Step outside of your world of finances and watch him open it up in the world. Step out of your normal comfort zone at work, your world, and enter into his world and see what he does for you. He will bring people into your life. He will expand your world, and you'll become rich in relationships, and that, my friends, is way more priceless than anything else. I'd rather have people to do life with than to have a life doing a lot of things that keep me, st that keep me sitting still. I want to move. When my friends have an issue or a problem, I want to move. I want to respond. I don't want to be in a place of comfort where it's like, oh, yeah, I worked all day. I was really tired. And so, yeah, my friend's in a crisis, but I'm just going to stay here. No, 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 no. That's, that's what's in it for me. That's, that's not thinking big picture. What, what is thinking big picture is, oh, I am going to be there. I'm going to be on your couch, and I'm going to be weeping with you. I'm going to move into the, into the uncomfortable because not only do I love you, but I know I will be the most useful to the Lord in the places where I'm uncomfortable. Matthew chapter 26, verses 39 through 44, on my way to a close. He went on a little farther, Jesus, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray. So that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to his disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. Okay, here's what I want to bring out in this really quickly. There's going to be things that God calls you to do that you are not going to want to do. And we have a perfect model with Jesus on what he did with that. It's not that he didn't want to save the world. It's not that he didn't want the end result. But what was happening was that he was feeling the weight of everything that he was about to go through and the deep and total sacrifice, the physical and spiritual crushing that he was going to face. And so he said, God... Take it from me if you, if, if you will, but not my will, but thy will be done. And then he goes to his disciples, and he finds them sleeping in a time where they were supposed to support him. 
So then he goes back to pray again because at that point he's probably being like, I'm going to die for these people. <laughs> I mean, let's just read behind it. Let's just read between the lines. You know what I mean? Like you read the disciples and it's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, like how did you just smite them? And then you look at yourself and you're like, thank you that you didn't smite me. So now I'm just thinking out loud and rambling. But. And so Jesus goes back to pray again and he prays the same exact thing. He does it a third, and, and he comes back out, and they're sleeping again. And then he comes back out, and they're sleeping again. But he was even sweeter the third time he came out than the first time that, that he had that negative encounter with his disciples. God was already empowering him and giving him the ability to see past the offense that he could have with people, or even see past the offense that he could have with God. And he followed God to his destiny. So that scripture, I mean, that's amazing. He goes ahead and says, go ahead and sleep and have your rest. I would have been like, what the heck? Like, what's your problem? Three times? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, I'm so glad that none of us in this room are God. I mean, so glad, especially me. Because I would have been so angry. But it's not the way that Jesus approached that. See, one of the questions, uh, Brendan, you can come out and play. One of the questions that the, one of the young people asked me on Wednesday night, I did a final Q&A session with the youth ministry. And um, it was actually Dorcas, and uh, Dorcas always asks amazing, amazing questions, and I'm going to miss those. She's here somewhere. But... Ah, there you are. Mighty woman of God. She, she asked, what's the biggest piece of advice that you can give to us now that you're leaving? And for a brief five seconds, I was completely overwhelmed by the question. Um, if you know me, I'm a thinker, and I can think myself to death sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, but then it came to me. And the best thing that I could say, and I could say to all of you is, work to have an unoffended heart towards the Lord and towards other people. Because... Over the course of my life, and I know that Bishop and Pastor Daniel have seen the same thing, is that most people don't fall away from God because they woke up one day and just decided not to serve him anymore. Most people fall away from God, in my experience, because something has happened along the way that has put up a barrier of offense between them and God, or one of God's people, and have said, I'm not going to do it anymore because I serve God faithfully and God promised me this and that and, and this has happened in my life so I, I cannot serve this God anymore. Or this person betrayed me and did this and if they're a representation of Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. Those are the two stories that we encounter all the time. All the time. But to have an unoffended heart towards the Lord, to truly be able to say to him, thy will be done. And to even catch his disciples sleeping three times and to come out and say, have your rest. But look, the time has come. They're coming to arrest me now. Wow. And Jesus wasn't afraid to rebuke his disciples, as we know. How was he able to do that? Final scripture that I'm going to read, and I'm done, I promise, with the sermon. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Actually, no, let's go to, uh, I'm going to change it for a minute. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. 
one of my favorite scripture, actually it is my favorite chapter in all the Bible, is Hebrews chapter 12. So it's kind of cool that we're ending with this scripture. Um, let's see. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And here's what I want you to get. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarded his shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you will not become weary and give up. The key to all of this, how can I sacrifice? How can I move with God? How can I leave my job? Or how can I leave my geography? Or how can I leave whatever the, it may be? When you realize that there is a joy, a promise that God has set before you, it gives meaning to your life. And you will say, whether or not I die on the journey or not, or whether I, I have to sacrifice a ton or not, it is the joy set before me that I live my life. So if God is calling me to leave my family behind who does not support my Christianity, or if God is calling me to leave a toxic social circle, or if God is calling me to go on a mission trip that I have no idea how I'm going to get the finances for, I, it's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be hard, but there's joy ahead. There's an end goal here. I'm not just doing this for nothing. I mean, let's look at Abraham, the nation of Israel, and then ultimately us sitting in this room are a result of one man's obedience that he never even got to see in his lifetime because he had a big picture. He said, even if it doesn't happen in my life, I'm going to get out and move. Are you moving with God? Are you moving with him? Sometimes you think, well, does that mean that I have to leave? You know, do, do I have to go move out of town? Honestly, this is what I find the most. I find that most of the time when we feel like we need to leave, we actually need to stay. Because what we're running from is inside of us. And what is inside of you is going to follow you where you go. Okay? Each and every one of us have had those thoughts cross our mind probably several times a year. Where it's like, oh my gosh, it would be so easy if I could just pack my bags and go. Well, yeah. You can Christianize that all you want, but you're not fooling anybody because you're going to recreate disasters wherever you go. Plug in here. If you've got messy relationships, dig in and fix them. Don't think that leaving them is going to cause anything to happen. Guys, if everybody went on every single whim, if only I moved... If I moved to Florida, I'd be happy. Yeah, I'd be a little nicer down there. You're still going to have the same problems because you've got to move with you. I'm just saying. So geography is complicated. So don't anybody come up to me at the end of the service and say, I, am, I, I heard from the Lord I'm moving to Texas. It's like, <laughs> take your time with that, okay? Take your time with that. My goodness. All right. I want to pray for us, and then I want to um, say some important words to all of you. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to hear your word, and I pray that, Lord, this congregation would respond to the moving of your Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. 
Lord, we recognize that most of the time it doesn't mean leave geographically. But it does mean to move with your Holy Spirit in different areas of our lives that you're calling us to, especially in particular seasons. So, Father, empower this dear, dear church family to move with you and for the joy set before them. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to call up my wife to, to come on up here. And uh, congregation, I want to share with you just how much you have meant to my wife and I. I have the privilege of being born uh, and raised here. Well, we came when I was six months old, and Bishop Thomas and Pastor Kathy dedicating me as a baby. And I can remember my very first memory of church. I was in the nursery um, in the old accounting office at the administration building where the nurseries were way back when. And all of my memories of church have been of this house. And so many of you watching us grow and blessing us and taking care of us, it's been an amazing 31 years. I want to thank my, my mom and late father for bringing us here all those years ago. Um, I'll never be the same. <laughs> never be the same. So I want to ask uh, Pastor Daniel, Patty, Bishop Thomas, and Pastor Kathy to come up. And I want to say a few things to you. You know, us preachers here, we cry all the time, so this is nothing new. <laughs> And uh, you can come and get this pulpit as well. Pastor Daniel, um, we'd like to speak to you first. Um, it's been an incredible joy serving on your team. And I remember um, going through a really deep darkness a few years ago. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it through. Uh, and this man from another campus met with me and, well, I'll just read it to you. I wrote it in my book about him. I can't afford to forget where I came from. I remember what I call the dark days of my life. I remember my world being completely shattered and all of that, and I will never, ever forget my friend and the pastor of our Warren campus, Daniel, weeping me, with me late into the night at Perkins. I'll never forget how he helped me through the complexities of my emotional makeup, dealing with things inside of me that were not mature. He reached out to me with genuine understanding and love and helped me pick up the pieces of my life. One year after that first day we met in Perkins, I texted him my gratitude for that day. And he responded by telling me how proud he was of me and jokingly telling me to name my first child after him. <laughs> I'll have you know, Danny with an I is in the running when that day does come. Danny with an I is in the running, so it's, it's, it's in the top three. <laughs> Victories that came in the peaks of my life were because of people like him who stuck with me in the valleys. I want to thank you. I want to thank you with all of my heart for stepping in, and in many ways, you rescued me 
God used you to rescue me. And so I'd always thought, man, it'd be so cool. Like, I'd love to serve on his staff one day. And once there was a vacancy at Warren, and my wife and I really considered asking you to come and serve. And then God brought you to us. Um, and so serving here with you has been a true joy. And I know that you're the man for this season and that you're going to lead Coitsville into a bold season of the moving of the Holy Spirit, you and Patty both. And I will be looking from afar with tremendous interest and with tremendous prayers for the both of you. Patty, thank you for always opening up your home. I remember many fun swim parties coming over your house that became a haven for me as well and uh, into so many other young people. And so the fact that the two of you are together and, and I'm connecting dots on, on how you two have been in my life in different ways, it's been an honor and it's been a joy and I love you dearly. Love you dearly. Bishop Thomas and Pastor Kathy, mom and dad. You know, this has been We love you guys. It's like, what can I say but thank you? There's so many times I screwed up and messed up and times where I've made the church look bad and um, just with different, I mean, when you're young and stupid and you're, you know, teenage years or whatever, it's like, okay, you know, but you always, you always saw beyond that and you stuck through it. And um, anyways, what, what we made for you um, is something we feel is significant. And uh, there was another tree on there that broke off, but uh, we'll, we'll glue it back on for you. <laughs> it's all good. Um, super glue is a tricky thing sometimes. We made this for you. And um, what these trees are is they're aspen trees. And they, um, they grow in Colorado quite a bit, Utah, that area. And uh, one of the most amazing characteristics of some groups of aspen trees is that they carry a single DNA marker. Whereas there are many trees that may be around there that don't look linked, but their root system is all connected in their one tree. And uh, we're gonna be seeing a lot of those when we're out there out west. And uh, so what this represents is, is that root system. And there's little charms on there that represent the areas in our lives that you've been a part of. There's a charm in there for, and you can put them on the screen too so the congregation can see. Um, for me and Sarah as a little boy and a little girl, dedicating me as a baby. Holy Bible for discipleship. Uh, the uh, bride and groom for marrying us. The world for opening up the world to us. Passport for sending us out. Pastor Kathy, a key for you, because when we think of you, we think of keys and opening up doors of destiny like you have in our lives. And a compass in there as well for the direction and a microphone for even this pulpit and giving me the privilege to speak to the young people here over the years and the VSOM students and everything. And, uh, and so we wanted you to have this and uh, we, we made it for you and, and just believing you know, that even though we're four different trees up there, we're connected at the roots. And I hope that when you look at this, you can see the, the impact that you guys have had um, just by even looking at our small story and uh, that it can be a refreshing memory for you. We're going to stay linked. We're going to stay connected. And, uh, and so we're very much looking forward to that. But we love you.
church, these are memorable times, aren't they? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask that our elders come and some of our staff as well and the family of Pastor Chris and, and Sarah. And uh, in a moment, we're going to uh, be praying over them. Bishop, I'm, I'm going to ask that Bishop, it's just as appropriate, he dedicated Pastor Chris when he was just a few months old. And we're going to ask Bishop Thomas to, uh, to pray over the lawn cars as they move out. But uh, Pastor Chris, Sarah, the kingdom is richer because you're in it. The kingdom will grow deeper and wider because you're working toward that end. We love you. We honor you. And I can't imagine victory without you right now. I just really can't envision what that looks like. But please know my love for both of you runs deep. Our love for you runs deep. We love, 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 love you. And he did promise that Danny with an I would be a consideration. <laughs> but um, I'm going to ask that you go ahead and step here in the center and, and those that have come forward. Let's just uh, lay hands. And um, this is tough for, for Debbie and Joe and Pastor Gary. And You love your daughter, don't you, Susan? You love your daughter. So, Bishop, I'm going to hand you the mic and um, say some words and pray if you would. First of all, Pastor Chris, that was an amazing word. Wow. Oh. Ah. Ah. Woo. Seriously. Seriously. Go ahead and be seated for just a, a second. I, you know, we have the privilege of traveling the world. You know, we're Bishop Garlington yesterday, and oh, you're oh, they're fogged up. I, <laughs> I've never seen my wife's glasses fogged up. I, I thought, how did she get Kleenex stuck under her? <laughs> yeah, we have the privilege of traveling the world and, and with Bishop Garlington yesterday, and you know, it, it, seriously, that. That was an epic word. And I, I was taking notes as fast as I could. And uh, that, that, you're just going to have to get the, you know, get the message later and take notes. It was, it was that awesome. To say that we as a mom and dad in your life are proud of you, uh, that would be a big underestimate in words. We sort of speak for the house, you know, because you were six months old, and, you know, I keep, that's what I thought. I, I thought the first time I saw little Sarah, she was around the age of two, saw her in that hallway with her daddy. It's just when we were interviewing you guys and joining our staff. You will always be in our hearts. This will always be home. You will be back, okay? Uh, because the, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and the Lord giveth to Colorado, but then he taketh away from Colorado. <laughs> Why would that be? Because the roots are here. And uh, we, we've talked about that. You have a call to this region, but you, you're obeying the Lord, and the message was just incredible. And Debbie... Uh, you know, I can still remember little Chris in arms and 
dedicating him. And I, as I mentioned with Pastor Gary and Susan, you know, little little Sarah, and, and of course you got Grandma there behind you as well. And we're we want to pray over you. There, there are so many words that could be said, but Church, let me say this to you. This works. It's not just about praying a sinner's prayer at an altar and thank God when you die, you go to heaven. That's wonderful. But see, when people meet Jesus, it changes the destiny of their children and grandchildren. You need to get that. This isn't just some little happenstance, some little circumstance. No, this is the DNA of the kingdom that's lived out. And so I hope you grasp the the weight and the gravity of what can happen by the grace of God because there are no perfect people, no perfect pastors, no perfect churches. As we gather around Pastor Chris and Sarah right now, I am going to ask you to stand as we pray. Father, These two belong to you. There was a day when their parents dedicated them to you, and they said, this child is yours. Chris Lankar is yours. Sarah Sweet is yours. Then there came a day when they said yes to you and they were born again as children they met you as lord and savior and they knew very early on that there was a call of god upon their lives even in their relationship there was destiny that was there and they wondered how could this be this is my friend could this be more than a friend could this be and it was to be, and they both recognized. Now here they are on July 23rd, 2017, standing on this platform and being ready to be sent out. You've opened up a wonderful door in Colorado. And so, Father, we believe that the way that we leave is the way that we enter. And so, Chris... And Sarah, you leave with the blessing. You leave with the blessing of your biological parents, spiritual parents. You leave with the blessing of this house. You leave with the blessing of young people that you've invested your lives in. You leave. You don't leave with empty hands. You leave with your hands full you leave with your heart full. And we send you forth. For there is a difference between leaving and being sent. You are not just leaving. You are being sent. May the Lord bless you spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, as well as financially. May the Lord give you kingdom connections and divine appointments. May the Lord, that sometimes we call Jehovah sneaky, 
May he ambush you with his love, his grace, and his favor over and over and over. And as you've been blessed, may you be a blessing to many. May God comfort your parents' hearts and grandma's heart and all of your family. May the Lord comfort them, but may their greatest comfort be knowing that you are in the center of God's will. And so your entire church family today extends a hands towards you, and they bless you. Chris and Sarah, would you open your eyes, and with your hands extended towards them, Pastor Chris and Sarah, we bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to go forth with anointing and with grace and power. You are not people who are leaving, as I said, empty-handed or empty-hearted. You are going with an overflow. And as David said, my cup runneth over. You've got that in your life. And so the Lord bless you, keep you, watch over you. In the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Church, just as a uh, point of information, uh, today at the riot from the time of 5 until 6, there's going to be a service geared primarily toward the youth, but anyone is welcome and their parents. And then at 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock, there will be an open house at the riot for the lawn cars. So please swing by. There will be some food and some goodies and some other things. And Pastor Chris, I'm going to ask you to pronounce the blessing on this house today. That will be an honor for all of us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may you move with God. May you recognize that you'll be the most useful where you are the most uncomfortable. May you not be afraid to make sacrifices here, knowing that your ultimate home is heaven, and that is where everything will be fulfilled. May you make moves in your family. May you make moves in your uh, geography. May you make moves towards God in your jobs. May you make moves, uh, I'm not talking significant crazy moves. I mean moves that will cause you to prosper wherever you are and to prosper other people. All the glory and praise honor going to God. May you be led by the Spirit of God and recognize that's evidence of your sonship, that you belong to Him. May you not stagnate but may you be a mighty stream that is constantly flowing and moving. Bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you.